Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Drip. Friends, welcome back to the table here at the Leadership Drip. Rob, we have sort of had a family um, that we've been adopted into. I'm going to I'm gonna prophesy <laughs> that, that we're going to be at Thanksgiving next year. I'm not sure they know that they have adopted us, but well, we, we at least claimed it. I, listen, in Colorado, I think a lot of things are legal, but this is <laughs> the youngest of the family. We've had Addison. Yeah. We've had his parents, John and Lisa. Yeah. We welcome to the table, Mr. Arden Bevere. Welcome to the show, friend. Jeff, Rob, thanks so much for having me on. You guys are, of course, welcome for Thanksgiving next year, but you got to participate in the Turkey Bowl. That's the only thing. Oh, we're there. We're there. If, if it involves violence, I'm excited. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All, that, listen, that be- all I remember is when we, we interviewed your mom, she was, it was a Friday and it was like Friday family dinner night. And she was talking about board games and she goes, there will be some who win and there will be some who cry. Like, I was like, I don't know if I can go to family game night. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, the biggest fights we've ever gotten into as a family has been from game nights. Like that, that's where that's where our greatest fights always come from. It's like when someone's losing or there's some like gray spot in the rules that one team's trying to like push their agenda on. Uh, it, we've we've had some very hard and great conversations through games. Yeah, these are good biblical lessons. To yeah, learn. yeah. So so let's talk about that because you are the youngest of four boys. Um, what is that like? Especially we've met Addison and Addison's a great guy. And, and you've got some brothers who probably could be fitness models. <laughs> exactly. What is it like to be the youngest of four boys in the family? Yeah, well, I was I was always picked on. I was I was beat up a ton as a kid. Um, you know, having three older brothers, Addison was more of like my protector when I was growing up. Um, and then whenever he turned on me, it was it was really rough. <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> it was three against one. And so I grew up with all of that. And that was that was great. That was fun. We loved competition. We we played almost every single sport. I remember we played hockey when we were kids. And my brothers got me involved by basically just putting a couple pads on me and throwing me in the, the net and just would do slap shots straight at me as a little kid. Um, but the joke was on them because they they would do all that stuff. And we grew up, I am now the tallest. Uh, I'm the biggest, I weigh the most, I can lift the most out of all of them. Um, so I thank them for all of that, you know, all those years of beating up on me because it actually helped me out. You know what? I have a very empathetic heart for you because I am also the baby in the family. Oh, yeah, I am too. And one of the most significant moments in my uh, siblings relationship was when I turned about 15 or 16. And uh, my big brother, who's five years older than I am, we were just kind of playing around one day and I picked him up and I body slammed him. That was the end. That was the moment everything changed. It's an (laughs) mental warfare for my brother. Like I got bigger than he was, but there was something about like the thought patterns. He could still like, (laughs) like he would look at me and I was like, Let's, let's back off that so he, he calls it the older brother strength like yeah, something yeah. that never goes away yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah addison still uses that I, yeah. know, I don't have any confidence right now we're talking about anything sincerely surely somebody out there is the youngest of their family and understands surely, surely somewhere yeah. out there unbelievable well hey man it, again it's so great to have you on the show and uh, we certainly want to get into some some content here um you recently uh, just released a book and we're going to talk about that in a few moments um, and we obviously know that you're the youngest of the family, so you have some challenges there that you've had to overcome. But, um, but I mean, I think you're, you, let's continue kind of down this, this vein of, of family and ministry, because your whole family is actively engaged mm-hmm. in, in ministry. And uh, in my research, I, I, I'm re- right now writing my dissertation on the redemptive development of Gen Z, boring. And, you know, it's, it's actually great. It's actually great. Arden may love yeah, it. Arden That's may love it. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but anyway, so one of the things that I'm discovering in my research is this need for intergenerational relationships in ministry. Mm-hmm. So kind of let's talk about just for a few moments, you know, yes, we've got the family dynamics and the board games, but what has it been like growing up in a, in a family where ministry is prevalent and how has that shaped kind of your worldview in terms of what your calling and your passions are? Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, that's great. Because Growing up, like you said, with with my parents as John and Lisa Bevere, I, I really didn't ever know anything different. They've been doing ministry for, I think it's coming up on like 30 years, so well beyond 
long been alive and I never knew that difference like I never knew parents that were constantly here actually when they were here for more than two weeks I was like you guys need to go on a trip like you need to travel I was like you've been around for too long and, and what they did so well and I think you know I, I grew up with a lot of pastor friends and uh, or pastor kids friends and right. we always got the rep for being the worst kids in the world like pastor kids were just terrible awful kids and, and we always had that rep and I watched that kind of like I watched of just kind of that being modeled and and something that I always saw and I remember my parents did such a good job of continuing to keep us grounded and understanding that hey we were not special because your parents were traveling ministers or doing all these things um, they weren't building their own ministry. They were building God's ministry. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they instilled into all of us boys and made us understand from a very young age is they said, you know, hey, this is this is not ours. We are just stewarding this. We are just here to help guide it in the direction that we know God wants it to go. I mean, my dad always told us boys, he said, hey, look, my name is on books because uh, I'm not the one that wrote it. It's because I was the first one to get to read it. He said, these messages are not mine, they're God's. And, and so my parents did a really good job of that. And then when it came to ministry, when we were like, hey, were we supposed to go into ministry? Um, they always discouraged it. They were like, you, mm -hmm. you should just go and do whatever you feel like is on your heart. Um, but they also instilled into us understanding that ministry is not um, so much the occupation side, it's it's actually just a lifestyle as well. Mm -hmm. And just because you don't go into set occupation of ministry and go work for Messenger International doesn't mean your life isn't supposed to revolve around ministry. Um, and, you know, I think that's what I've seen a lot from my generation is we get uh, we get so hung up on this idea of occupational calling. We're like, what am I called to do? What am I called to do that we forget what our first and original calling is and that's to be a son or a daughter of God. And, and we completely miss out on our, you know, inheritance, our identity, mm -hmm. our, our calling in that area. And God will order the steps in our occupation to lead us in those directions as we operate in that. Um, but my parents, we did so well. We all, uh, we all ended up in ministry. Um, my brother, Austin, is actually the only one who does not work full-time in ministry. He, he has been working full-time in ministry for about, I think, about 10 years now, and he's been absolutely incredible, but he's been pursuing some other passions of his. But my parents did such a good job of always exemplifying uh, that they were the exact same people on the stage. I mean, you guys have had them on the podcast. They're yeah. hilarious. They're funny. They're the exact same people on a podcast, on the stage, on the platform, whatever it is, that they are at home. Um, and they held us to the things that they always instilled and preached. Um, they made sure that their relationship with God was not just something that was their occupation. Like I remember my dad every single morning. I, I mean, I can't, I can't recall a morning that he was not waking up at 530 in the morning and going out and praying. And then when I would come downstairs, he would be in his office just reading the word. And then he would come busting into the kitchen room and he'd be like, look at what I just read. And, you know, he's read it like 70, 80 times. But yet God just every time had revealed something new to him. And he would reveal this, you know, amazing thing that God was showing him. And he just kept the word of God so alive and so fresh in all of our lives and showed it was it was not a religion. It was just a relationship that we got to have with our creator. Yeah. We, we have said many times we're here at a Christian college campus, Christian university that has a, a very good school of religion. Um, and Rob and I were undergraduates here and there was two categories. And I think it's still true in a lot of ways. There were those that God had called and those that mama had called, you know, they were, yeah. they were going to be preacher because mama told them they were going to be a preacher. That's, right. That's why they came to study. Um, but you're saying that sort of the opposite that your parents discouraged you from the, the ministry's vocation so when did you sort of wrestle that out for yourself? When did you come to a point where, where God and Arden had that wrestling match to land on, on being in ministry? Yeah, I, so it kind of was a process. I, I remember, so I was the only boy that actually walked away from Christ. Um, when I was in high school, I just, I knew there was a God. I believed that Jesus had died on the cross. I had saw the amazing miracles that God was doing through my family and through my parents. And I just said to that point, you know, when you're a teenager, you're just like, I really just don't care. And I was like, I, there's a lot more fun things that I wanted to focus on that was just silly and foolish of me. And I thought was the right thing to do. And so I walked away from God 
And then I remember about three years later, God grabbed hold of me and, and I got saved. I told people I got saved, not by some people get saved by the love of God. I got saved by the fear of God. Um, <laughs> you know, God, God struck me in that moment. I had, you know, I'd always experienced his love and all those things, but I experienced a new side of God that uh, I am so grateful for that. I actually really I write about in the book. I'm really wanting our generation to grab more hold of the fear of God and understanding what that actually is and the beauty that's found in it. Um, but I got saved then. And I remember when I asked God, I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, I just want you to dedicate your life to ministry. And, and to me, um, that wasn't just, you know, going and working for my parents. Like I said, that was just, I, I need to look for opportunities of ministry in all my, uh, every single day of my life. And so I remember I, um, I actually had a full ride. I played in high school. I played two completely opposite sports. I played rugby and golf and I had a full ride scholarship for golf. And I actually turned it down and told, uh, told my, my coach, I was going to go and intern for a church. And he was like, are you crazy? And I was like, I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. And, and I went and interned at that church. And I remember just through that whole time, I continued to keep asking God, what am I supposed to do? And he said, do ministry. And I, I remember I had all of everyone you know, that was in the internship or in the Bible college with me, they had such specific callings. They were like, you know, God's called me to be the next big time pastor, or be the next youth pastor at my church. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like God told you that. I was like, he just told me to do ministry. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And, and I just watched as, as I continued to do that, God continued to order my steps and, and he kept bringing me back to Messenger International. And I, I came back to Messenger International and I worked there for a year, um, realized I had to do some more growth and development on myself. And so I actually went off to, went off to Bible college and studied there. Um, and so, you know, God just continued to direct that. I, I will say, I never thought uh, I would be writing a book. I was actually in special needs reading and writing programs all the way through my freshman year of high school. Um, so whenever someone came up to me and they said, hey, are you the next John Bevere, next Lisa Bevere kind of thing? I was like, absolutely not. I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the ability to speak. I don't have the ability to write. There's no way that could be. So I wanted nothing to do with ministry. And I just watched as God continued just to direct my steps back um, and just seeing all the amazing things that were actually being done through Messenger International. Um, I thought it was such an honor just to be a part of it all and be able to to help steward the messages that my dad and mom have put out. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, I think, well, our stories are, are kind of similar in many ways, except that I didn't grow up uh, in a Christian home. Like, mm -hmm. I, I just didn't have that context. But um, I think what's really cool about your story, especially in the context where you talk about how uh, some people are very clear, very early about what it is that God is putting in their heart to do. And some people are just not. And I yeah. think um, I think we place um, inordinate amounts of value on on the clarity rather than the journey, because I think I think in either case, in either case, whether you know specifically what it is that God is calling you to do or whether you just have no clue and you're just trying to unpack that. I think the, the higher priority is understanding, first of all, I must make a decision about obedience yeah. first to follow. And then I have to make a decision about just allowing God to journey with God to allow him to unpack that. And so I think it's really cool because I think a lot of our students, one of the major counseling conversations I often have on campus is about vocation and calling. And they don't know why it's not perfectly clear and they don't yeah. understand like, and does that mean that they're not hearing God or they don't have a good relationship with God or all those kinds of questions. But I think it's just your story just affirms in that small example that, you know, clarity is not necessarily the only objective, right? It is a objective, but it's not the only objective. I think what God desires more than anything else is the intimacy that gets you to the clarity. Yeah. Right. And I, yeah. And I think, I think too, what I've seen from my generation is we hate the process. And we hate that process because we're so used to everything being instantaneous. Like, you know, hey, if I want food, I can just pick up my phone and Uber Eats, like it'll come right to my doorstep. If I want to text someone, I just pick up my phone, I text them right away. And we love instantaneous things. And when we don't like we with our purpose, like the big question in our life, we don't see those results right away. We get very frustrated. 
And, and I love it that God is a God who works through the process. You know, he allows there to be seasons of maybe barrenness or not producing fruit or, or just dry seasons um, in order for, to, for there to be a producing of fruit and character in your life to be able to handle the calling and the call that he has for you. I remember my dad always told us boys, he said something I've always prayed and always believed. And he said, I hope you guys pray the same thing is that he said, I tell God, I said, if, that if my calling ever outweighs my character, please take it away from me. And he said, I never want to, I never want to lose my relationship with God, the person that God's created me to be because of my inflated ego or the calling that God's placed on my life and, and thinking that I, I'm, I've gotten to myself to this point, or I've done any of this stuff by my own. And so I, I've loved as God has humbled our family in a lot of ways um, through the process. And I think that's been an incredible thing because there, there's things that, you know, God has shown my family where he's like, hey, you're going to, you guys are going to do this and you're going to do this. And I know even for myself and we're still waiting for those things. We're like mm -hmm. that we're, we're waiting for those things. But as we're waiting, we're watching as all of this development stuff is happening. All these things that we didn't know was going to happen. All these things that we couldn't have seen or all those things that have come about because of us waiting. Um, and I think there's so much value in that. I think that's a great encouragement to a lot of leaders. Um, from the exterior, it looks like the Bevere's got it all together. Like, right. and like God is like just dropping promises left and right. Like, you know, so it's encouraging to, to all of us to go, Hey, there's still seasons of waiting, no matter what level of call it success or, or kingdom advancement you've had that God's promises are still sometimes prolonged. Um, so I think that's an encouragement to us. And so, I want to kind of touch on something you have great parents and we're, we're keep bragging on them, but obviously you went through the process. And one of the things we've learned about young adults and you fit in that kind of category is there's usually somebody behind the scenes, a mentor or a couple mentors helping them navigate that process. Um, might've been your parents, might've been someone else, but who was helping you sort of navigate that process to go, Hey, it's not instantaneous. There's a journey to get there. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, like like you said, I navigated that process uh, um, actually pretty poorly in the beginning. Um, I I felt like you know I had a call in my life and I needed to get on with it, and my parents needed to help that call of God come about because I was they you know they told us boys, hey, you're gonna go further and farther than us. And I just really, I, I was focused in too much on my life rather than the grand picture. And um, I had great people such as my, you know, my parents, of course, but then my older brother, Addison. And then also there was a gentleman who was our staff pastor. Um, his name was Matt Joya. It was funny during the, the season I worked uh, at Messenger between my two in my internship and my college um, time that Matt Joya would literally come by my desk and we'd have this thing at the ministry where it was called going on a lap. Whereas like every, anytime you were in trouble, you'd go and walk on a lap um, with your manager around the ministry. And it was almost every single day he would come by my desk and be like, let's go on a lap. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> it got to the point where he'd be walking by and I'm like, yep, I'm right there. Like I would just get up. He wouldn't even have to say anything. He would just look at me and I was like, yep, I I've got it. And so, you know, and I, I thank God. And, and during that season, I, you know, this is the problem is I, I did, uh, I did lose a lot of trust from people. I, I had to earn back trust. I had to navigate things when I came back. Um, and there's things that you'll learn in that process. And if you don't handle it correctly, you know, you're going to have to come face to face with it again and, and really kind of look your mistakes in the face and take ownership for them and grow from them. Uh, but there's so much growth that may, you know, that is to come from that when you really take that ownership. I think what we wanted, what I've seen a lot from my generation is we want to deflect. Um, we don't want to take ownership for the things that we've done. And we just kind of want to move past the hard times and think those hard times never really actually happened. Um, and we just want to say, let's just get to the good times and, and we'll see from there rather than learning from those experiences and learning from those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much in that little yeah. section of commentary so, right so there. So everybody needs to like <laughs> back it up 30 seconds, re-listen to it, back, take that notes, up 30 seconds. back it up 30 seconds again. Yeah. And listen, Jeff, Jeff and I are, are, are huge fans of, of, you know, younger leadership, younger mm -hmm. adults. I mean, that's the whole reason why we're, we're doing the show. And I know sometimes maybe it sounds like we're coming across critical in terms of, uh, you know, Gen Z or your generation or young adults, you know, they deflect, they don't engage, they, they don't take responsibility. They, you know, they don't want to engage in the process or whatever. 
Um, but every every generation has their hiccups. Every generation has we're sort exers, of their, uh, man. We were apathetic. We're, we weren't going to do anything. We're, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we all have our issues, right? But I think these are such critical conversations. Why? Not just because they relate to young adults, but because I think they relate to the general leadership crisis that mm-hmm. we're experiencing. Dare I say, across our context in America right now, where where there's a general leadership kind of void or vacuum where the model is to deflect the model is to blame the model is to leapfrog you know uh decades of experience and uh, wisdom wisdom and 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 allow that process to build you for the moment right so so i think these are such critical conversations not just for your generation but for every generation as we kind of move forward through some of this this crisis that we're kind of experiencing as a culture. Yeah. And it's one of the great things I think you and Aston have done. So you, you co-founded sons and daughters, which is give us kind of a context for it because it's kind of like a parachurch ministry around young adults. So give us a little bit of context, of what you guys do with that. Yeah. So uh, what we do is honestly, the heartbeat of it was for our generation. We, we felt like we wanted to see our generation step into the fullness that God has called it to be. Um, we look at the potential that this generation has. I mean, never before has the generation been able to reach across the entire world with this single post and be able to impact someone's life all the way across the world that they'll never meet someday in person. Um, and so we wanted to see our generation know who they fully were alive um, and not to look at uh, Christianity as, you know, just kind of this you know, hey, it's just a religious, you know, institution thing like that. No, it was actually this amazing adventure with God. And and so we started that uh, about three years ago. And what we do is we um, shifted everything to empowering ambassadors. And these are sons and daughters ambassadors. And what we do is um, we we kind of have this mindset and might be a little countercultural, but what we believe is honestly, the problem in the world today is not a lack of sons and daughters of God. Uh, we really think that the problem is, is that there's a lack of sons and daughters of God who have stepped into the fullness of what that actually means, yeah. because then you would see multitudes and multitudes coming to Christ. Um, and what we feel like is we feel like, hey, um, there's been a lot of people that just feel like they're they're not equipped and they don't have community. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to set up ambassadors that can help get people connected into churches, um, help get them discipled. And help get them to really navigate those tough seasons well and with someone. Because we thought to ourselves, we're like, hey, it's great we're making videos. It's great we're making content. But honestly, life change doesn't happen through a video. It happens through relationships. Like you guys you guys know this probably better than anyone just as pastors. And, and um, we, we kind of looked at it as that. And we said, you know, it's through relationships, you know, through the ability to share with someone, hey, this is where I'm at. This is the things that I'm going through. These are the things that I've I, I've went through and, and the, the healing that needs to take place. And so we established that. We have about 400 ambassadors worldwide, which has been absolutely incredible. Um, and, and just seeing people being able to use the resources that we have to help grow and strengthen them um, in their walk with Christ so that they can grow and strengthen others around them. Yeah, one of the things, Rob, and I don't know how much you've looked into it, and then we talked about it with Addison, that I love about sons and daughters. It's very discipleship focused. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's a it's a grow them up kind of plan and program, and um, a peer to peer kind of process, right. which I which I think is great. Like, and I think we again we talked about it. you need wise voices in your life, but there's something significant also about a peer being able to step into that and lead with you and walk with you. Um, it's one of the things I love about what they're doing. Um, besides they have some of the coolest swag. I'm always after that swag. So like <laughs> some of the coolest swag, but you're doing great kingdom things too. So however, however, <laughs> however, and, and so, but you're meeting such a great need though. Cause I think what we hear over and over is this, this disconnection in not just one generation in every generation. Yeah. So how have you guys navigated sort of the, and I hate to bring the conversation up, but it's, it's prevalent here, the COVID conversation, this <clears throat> continual building a community in these, they're, they're small groups essentially um, across the world with sons and daughters. Yeah, well, um, that was the interesting thing because we we didn't we just made this shift at the beginning of last year, at the beginning of 2020. So we didn't know anything about, you know, hey, you know, churches weren't going to be able to gather and all those things um, because we had already, um, surprisingly enough, we already had so many prayer requests that were coming in from people that were saying, I need community. 
And, and for us, what we kept doing is I've been able to travel with my dad to so many amazing churches in my mom. Uh, around the world. And so I'd see a, a prayer request coming from someone and they'd be like, I need community. I'm like, well, I know there's a great church down the road. And they'd be like, well, I don't know anyone there. And I'm like, okay, well, we've got to set up that connection point. And so that's what the ambassador was doing. And then when everything hit with COVID, we saw this as, hey, this is this is not a time to retract. Like I love what the Bible says, it's occupy until I come back, which means it, you don't stop. The church does not stop. And I said, it's not a time to retract, but it's a time to begin to see the church go beyond the four walls. And, and that's what we wanted to do because everything that we do at Messenger International has all been through the filter of how will this grow and strengthen the local New Testament church? We never want to make sure it's ever a rival. We want to make sure we're always building and growing and strengthening the local New Testament church. And so we got to see as all these ambassadors had to shift their focus and they had to begin to start leading people who normally would regardless never be in a church and begin to start leading people through Zoom calls and all those things and connecting with them and helping them, you know, having the prayer conversations, having the, you know, hey, I, I know your, your family member just got sick with COVID and being able to pray with them um, and actually seeing, you know, what Ephesians 4.12 talks about where, you know, it's, it's the prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and apostles are all, all there for the equipping of the saints to do the work in the ministry. And so seeing these ambassadors actually do the work of the ministry, um, people who, you know, felt like, hey, you know, the work of the ministry is only reserved for my pastor or my, you know, the apostle or the prophet, things like that. Uh, but them actually stepping in that and finding so much fulfillment in that. Yeah, we, we've said it on the show, I don't know how many times, and I think we're just going to keep beating the drum until, well, we're just going to keep beating the drum. Let's keep beating it. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. But, but we're, we're pleading with, with leadership in local churches, which we highly value and love. Mm -hmm. Turn your young people loose in the church to be the community builders because they're doing it better than anyone else. Absolutely. Give them the social media platforms. Give them the digital platforms where you post your services. Give them the opportunity to create community digitally because they're doing it better than anyone else. If you want to know how to engage young people in your church, empower them. What you said, empower these ambassadors, turn them loose, let them go, get out of the way, learn from them and, and help, let them help you grow in the midst of a changing. And I'm not sure that we're ever really going to go quote back to what yeah. was help. Let them lead you forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've said it a hundred times and I think what you guys are doing through sons and daughters kind of echoes that. And I think um, maybe even your book kind of plays into that with the book redefined. And so uh, learning to, I think kind of the way you write about it is talking with your peers in your generation, not necessarily talking at. And I think the yeah. way you write that book is so critical because it's the communication style that mm -hmm. is receptive not, you know, you know what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, even as a, a non-millennial or Gen Z reading the book, it was a conversation. And what was so important, Arden, when you were sat down to write the book that you wrote in that tone and not, not in a tone of like, here, let me tell you about the labels. You're like, Hey, let's yeah. talk about the labels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so the book, I, I don't know if you guys know how I actually started. The book was never supposed to be its book. It was actually just my prayers for my generation. So mm -hmm. it came from a Facebook post where I had posted a question. Addison asked me to, to kind of target our generation more. And he said, hey, how can you better? How can we as a ministry better reach the young adult generation? And I wrote, went, wrote down all these things about our generation. I said, you know, we're innovative, we're creative, we're pioneers. And then I was like, well, what else are we? And so I asked the question on, our, on my Facebook. I said, hey, if you could describe the young adult generation in one word, what would it be? And I remember I got such just negative responses. It was mm. things like broken, entitled, lacking, disillusioned, fearful, addicted. And, and as I was watching all of these things come in, my heart was breaking um, because I was seeing this as I was like, this is my generation. And, and yes, I know that there is some times where our generation has gotten a, a bad reputation. And sometimes it's, you know, it's, it, hey, there's a good reason for it. But what I'm seeing is, is that my generation was beginning to believe the negative labels that have been spoken over them rather than the calling of God that has been placed on this generation. And, and I watched so much in 2020 uh, where there was a lot of labels that was placed on people. And what they started doing is they started reacting and acting from a place of that label rather than what the word of God spoke over them. And I remember in that moment when I saw all of those things, then what God told me to do is he said, take every single one of those words, 
and journal about them and, and make that your prayer for your generation. So I'd write out the word and then I would write the scripture that had that I found in his word that would combat those things. And I'd write what it meant over this generation, why people saw our generation this way. And I'd flip it and write my prayer for my generation. And so it was never supposed to be a book. It was just really my heart cry for my generation. Um, and then my mom was like, this needs to be a book. And she, she kind of forced it out, but as you know, <laughs> as loving mothers do. Um, but that was something that was really important to me is, is I understand I'm 26. Um, I have so much stuff to learn, um, regardless of who my parents are, regardless of the family I come from, regardless how long I've served in ministry, there is still so much stuff I'm learning. And I hope I always am constantly learning uh, the day I die. And so I never want to come from this place of, hey, I, I get it. I understand it. I know this. This is how you should be doing it. I really wanted to make sure that I grabbed actually the 10 words that I did use in the book were all words that I had to navigate and combat for myself things that I personally walked through. And so I wanted to show people, hey, look, um, please learn from my experiences. People always say that, you know, hey, personal experience is the best teacher. I'm like, no, it's not. Other people's experience is the best teacher that we don't have to go through it. Um, you can learn if you just grab hold of this uh, idea. And that's what the word of God is. You know, the word of God is a bunch of people's experiences that we get to learn from. Um, and what I've seen from my generation is we have a lot of information being thrown at us and we have yet to turn it into transformation. Mm -hmm. And transformation comes from the word of God and from actually getting into the word, knowing what it says about us and beginning to speak that over us as a generation. I remember my parents used to do this and I hated it so much, but they used to call us princes when we were kids. They're like, hey, you're a prince. They're like, you're a prince and you don't act like that. Like it was when we did something completely wrong, like completely like when we talked back to them, they would be like, you're a prince. And I'm like, mom, like, do you have come from some royal heritage that I don't know about? Like, am I about to get some big inheritance that I need to know? And she was like, no, like you're, you're, a, you're a prince of the, the king of kings, like the, the kingdom of heaven. And, and she made us understand this. And we didn't, we didn't get it as kids. But when we grew up and it was we understood the word, as we read more and more of the word, we understood the inheritance, the, the identity that we were walking in, not because we were Bavirs, not because of our family, but because we were sons and daughters of God, which is why I want people more and more in my generation, what I even write at the end of the book, what I want my generation to be known for is that we'd be known as sons and daughters of God, that we, that people would look back at this generation and just truly see, you know, hey, this wasn't a this wasn't a broken generation. This wasn't an entitled generation. This was a generation that was so marked by God, so driven by His calling for us that they are known by sons and daughters of God. Yeah. Man, that that is good. Uh, that'll preach, as they say. Um, <laughs> but I think I think that you know the book is obviously about sort of reframing, uh, redefining this uh, conversation on labels and on and on identity. And I think. I think that there's an evangelistic door that's open for us as pastors, as leaders. It is in this conversation of identity formation and development. And I think it's not rocket science to look at the metrics and the statistics on how social media impacts our thought process. It's not, you know, that's not difficult to do. All of that information is out there, but no one is actually providing genuine sort of identity formation solutions that that are redemptive in nature. And I think this book redefined is, is a great resource to actually help in that conversation because when people understand, you know, when I became a Christian, I was in the Marine Corps and I became a Christian at age 20. The first time that I understood who I was in Christ, the Prince, a joint heir with Christ, right? A co-heir, right? it is radical. It is, it is transformational. It is life-changing. It is perspective shaping. It, it is all of those things. The moment that you actually come to grips with this reality, no, this is who I am. I'm not the ignorant high schooler, you know, that failed every class. Actually, that was me, but, but you know, <laughs> there's identity, some truth to that one. Right? Yeah. Right? And, and just like you are, you're not, you're not shaped and defined by the mistakes mm -hmm. or the sins yeah. that you made by walking away from Christ for those, for those short years, those two, three years where you were doing your own thing. That's not your identity. It's a part of your story. Right. And I think yeah. so many young people, young adults, especially need to understand that who they are is not defined 
by what they have done or what their parents have said or what culture dictates who they are is defined already in the word of God through scripture. He lays it out very, very clearly. And that's not old school. That's not antique. That's not out of style. Right. Yeah. I think for labels, it's an interesting word because, because labels have such a negative connotation, but a label is not always bad. Like, when we purchase clothing, we look at the label. We want to know what it's made of or who made it. And so what you're kind of conveying, Arden, is, is so critical that, that the label we have is what God calls us. Yeah. So how do you help a young adult who is either wearing some labels that they put on themselves, wearing labels somebody else has placed on them, to shift that thinking to being who God calls them? Yeah. And I love what you said because what I, I found out is that a label is – what the world puts on you because it speaks to who you have been in the past or who you are right now. And that's all the world can see. It can only see what is in the physical, what what's in the natural and God's calling speaks to the supernatural. It speaks to the eternity that's placed on your heart. And so if you live defined by labels then you live to live defined by the here and then rather than the future. And and we need to be people of the future that are expect living in expectations for what is to come. Um, You know, I think, this, I always say this, and I, you know, I, I tell people this in my generation as we have conversations around this, and, and I'm like, look, it, it, it is simple, but it isn't. Um, but the thing that you need to do is when you have these labels that may, may be put, put on you by, you know, parents, teachers, coaches, you know, peers, uh, you know, maybe social media. I don't, I don't understand why we as a generation have allowed so many people that we have never met in our life define us and shape yeah. so much of our life. Um, but when you have those labels that have been placed on you, um, Jesus showed the most amazing way uh, to combat when your uh, identity is un- under attack. And you find that when Jesus is out in the wilderness for 40 days and he comes back or he doesn't come back, but at the end of the 40 days, the enemy comes and he tempts him. And before he tempts him, he questions who he is. He says, if you are truly the son of God. Mm-hmm. And now the enemy knew exactly who Christ was. Like he was with the word from the foundations or before the foundations of the world, he knew exactly who he was. He had knew all the things that had happened up until that point, but the enemy still knowing full well who he was, still wanted to question who he was to try to make him feel insecure, to try to limit him to the things of the world and say all of these things to try to get him to put on some cheap display of power in order to prove who Christ was. And I love what Christ does is Jesus doesn't say, you know, hey, I know I'm the son of God because God told me or, or hey, I know I'm the son of God because that's what my mom told me or something like that. Jesus uses the word of God. Mm-hmm. He simply quotes back scripture to him and combats the enemy when he's trying to attack his identity with the word of God. And I think right now we have a generation who knows what the, you know, knows what the latest podcast says about them or knows what the latest, you know, social media post from their favorite pastor says about them or, or what the latest message says about them, but they don't know what the word of God says about them. And this is why it's so important. You know, why Jesus even says, you know, Hey, when he talks to Peter, he says, you got this revelation through God alone. He said, this is the the foundation I'm going to build my church on is that we have to have this foundation of the word in our life. Because here's the thing, I think when we don't spend a lot of time in the word, that when there's contrary opinions that come against us that are to either against our, you know, against our God or against who we are, who God has created us to be, um, if we don't spend a lot of time in those things, those things have room to take, take ground and take take root. You know, I think about it, if like someone came to me and I have a close relationship with my dad and they came to me and they started saying all these things that I knew could be completely wrong about my dad's character, um, there would be no ground. Like that person wouldn't get the the, the time of day. They, those, those thoughts, those questions, they would not take any kind of root in my mind or anything like that because I know who my dad is. I know the character he has. And it's just the same for our relationship with God. And I've seen so many of my, uh, of honestly, my friends walk away from God because they don't spend any time in prayer. And then they hear a contradicting uh, question or idea that comes up to their mind. And because they don't know the character or know what the word of God says, they stray away from it so easily. And I, I remember I heard this quote recently and I love it. It says, the only thing that you have to do to drift is nothing. And, and I want to see my generation um, understand what the word of God says about them. 
and, and allow that to be the defining factor. And that's so that when the enemy does, or when people do label them and say, hey, you're, you're broken, you're entitled, you're acting from this place, they can understand what the word of God says about them and be able to combat it and come from that and, and grab hold of that truth and that promise rather than an opinion of someone else. Yeah. I think um, th- this is such a pertinent conversation because we, we see scripture as an archaic means of a religion rather than a transformative means to a relationship with God. The same rules apply as they have applied to know God, know his word. That's it, right? If you, if you really want to know who you are in Christ, if you really want to know what God says about you or what he's calling to you, I believe your calling and your vocation will always start in the word of God. He will never contradict himself, right? right? I think any burden you have that precedes a vision you may get has to start in the word of God. It's really got to start there. And the extent to which you expose yourself to the word is the extent to which you expose yourself to God's voice, God's plans, God's promises, God's purposes for your life. And so there, um, gosh, it sounds like a beating a, a drum here, but there needs to be some sort of redefining of how we as a generation, a young generation, actually engage with with the word of God. So very quickly, I don't know, just give me some of your thoughts. Like, how does your generation engage with the word, with the Bible? Like, is it fully digital? Is it, it, I mean, are buying Bibles still a thing? Like, I mean, (laughs) how do you encourage your generation to actually engage with the word? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think this is important because um, for me, I, I people sometimes call me old soul. I still love just buying a Bible. I still love flipping through pages and going through it. Um, but you know, I look. There's some people that the reality of it. There's a lot of lot of demands on their life, and there's a lot of times that they 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 aren't able to sit down. And what I do every single morning um, is, if I have a very busy morning, what I do is I just simply flip on the Bible app and I allow the Bible app to do the reading where it does the audio Mm -hmm. version of it. And I just allow it just to read to me so that I know that I'm continuing to listen to the word of God. Um, You know, I might not get as much from it um, than if I was sitting down and reading, but I'm definitely still getting the word of God that is going through my mind um, in the morning or, or at night, um, I, something I always do with my wife, my wife, I, she either hates it or loves it, but I always, if I forget to read the word of God in the morning or just because I love, I love my morning time with God. And that's something I've always loved to do. I will text her throughout the day and I'll say, Hey, uh, remind me to read the word. Like, don't let me go to bed tonight without reading. And, and because I'm like, I don't like, this is something that my relationship with God is not, it's not something that I have to do or anything like that. It is actually one of the most valuable parts of my day. And it's one of the most, in, you know, honestly, uh, informational and, and revelational, um, transformational time of my day that I, if I miss out on it, I feel like I missed out on something that God's wanting to share with me. And I think that's so important for our generation is, is I just hope that we don't think, you know, hey, my relationship in the word um, is being substituted with a podcast or being substituted with listening from a message from from a pastor. Um, I think those things are amazing. I think they're so great. Um, I think there's, there. I mean, I've, I can't tell you how many messages I have uh, listened to and it has inspired me and given me fresh revelation about something I read in the word or something that I went to the word and read after listening to that message. But I think if our relationship is based off of that, um, then we are not getting... Uh, there's two, like here, here's the thing. The Bible talks about there's two different types of knowledge, uh, or revelation. So there's there's revelation knowledge and there's communicated knowledge. And communicated knowledge is what Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Okay, so she had communicated knowledge, which was knowledge that was communicated by God to Adam. Adam, God told Adam, "Hey, you cannot eat from this tree." And then Adam communicated it to Eve. And you can see that Eve had communicated knowledge because when the serpent comes to Eve, she says, uh, uh, God said, we cannot eat or touch, which God never said you can't touch that tree. And so she had communicated knowledge, which caused it to change just a little bit. But then Adam had revelation knowledge. And then you see like there's other people in the Bible where they have revelation knowledge, which is knowledge that is directly from God. It's what I said even before, where Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, you got this knowledge straight 
from God. That's revelation knowledge. And that's what the church is going to be built on. And, and so, yes, communicated knowledge is important. But if we are only building our relationship with God based off of communicated knowledge, it is a, it is a difficult and a very uh, tough place to be in. Yeah. And you said something important, Arden, I want to touch on is, is that you find value in your time with God. Um, for, for a generation that lives in a hurry, it feels like, and then busy, how can we communicate to them, encourage them, equip them to, to slow down and find value in the word of God? Yeah, I think, I think just not putting it to a structure, like we're really, so I think, I think what I've seen a lot of people and not, and not maybe structure is the wrong word, but what I think I've seen from a lot of people is they, they will be like, Hey, um, okay. I just sit down with my Bible and then I read one chapter and I'm done kind of thing. I got my chapter done. And I came to this revelation because that's kind of how I started to limit my time with God, where I was like, okay, I've read one or two chapters and that's great. I got some time in the word. And God challenged me and he said, do you, do you think that you could get just as much by just reading maybe just even a little portion and just dwelling on that and just really soaking that in and, and learning more about that? And so thinking, you know, not getting from this place of, hey, I've just, I got to get this done. You know, I've got to get to here to here. And then hopefully, you know, God will speak to me. But like, maybe really, if you see something that catches your eye, just really sitting on it and dwelling on that and seeing what God's speaking um, in those scriptures and those verses, because I found, I found that, you know, it could be one, one verse that there's so much amazing things. And that's what my dad so beautifully illustrated to all of us boys growing up is he would show us the same verse, you know, 40 times and it would be 40 different ways. Um, and that's what the word of God is. That's why it's alive. That's why it's breathing. Um, it's always something new, something fresh that speaks to different, different circumstances, different times in our life. Yeah. I love this conversation, Rob. We know this from being here on campus and being around students. Biblical literacy is a, a gaping hole. Um, and w- what I'm loving about what Arden is sharing with us is that biblical lit- literacy is one of the things that changes how we see ourselves. Knowing the word of God is how we shift from the labels. And right. so as leaders, you and I, and those listening, even the young adults who, who are listeners, we have a responsibility to be encouragers of biblical literacy right and engagers of biblical yeah well Bible. yeah it starts it, there it starts, it, it actually us. starts yeah. there right yeah. so uh yeah and i think what this conversation i mean you could go in so many different directions right i mean and i know we're starting to get close to time and part of this generation you know part of their struggle is everyone wants to make a difference everyone wants to feel like their life is significant and so this generation has done an amazing job of being entrepreneurs and innovators and engagers of social issues and justice issues. And I mean, they've done a phenomenal job. At the same time, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a void in that, an absence in that, because those types of things will always persist and they will never actually fully fulfill, Right. Um, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, whether you follow Jesus or you don't follow Jesus, um, your identity, your formation, who you are is not found in just the, the work of what you do. So as, as world changes, and I think your brother actually said this when we, when we did the show with him, sometimes changing the world means just actually changing your own street, right? Yeah. So, so in, in your work with sons and daughters in the book, how are you encouraging young adults um, your, your peers, really, how are you encouraging them to change the world where they are? Yes, do the big things, but also understand that the significance and the value that you're seeking can be found right in front of you. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think like what you said, I, um, you know, I've always seen that sons and daughters are people who find purpose in the mundane, you know, the things that people from of this world think that's just your day-to-day routine um, we find purpose in that. We look for opportunities in every single scenario. I remember I was went through uh, Starbucks recently. My wife wants to go to Starbucks almost every single day, as most most husbands get that struggle. But I went through Starbucks recently, and I got to the counter, and I just was talking to the the girl, and we were driving off, and my wife was like, "Did you did you know her from like high school or something?" I was like no, like it was like that's the first time I've ever seen her. It was like, but I just wanted to place value 
on that individual. And I think right now more than ever, especially because um, a lot of people's relationships are just digital. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are seeking value and, and that's whether they're, you know, they're seeking value as you go and check out at the grocery store. That's something my parents so beautifully illustrated to all of us boys. Um, my dad, I mean, at, at one grocery store that we always went to, um, my dad knew every single person's name that worked there. Um, he never stopped placing value on all of them. Um, he never told them that he was a Christian. He never told them that he was a, a minister or an author. He just continued to place value on them because he knew that every single person in there, God prayed the, paid the ultimate price by sending his son for them. And he wanted to show that value for them. And so I watched this time and time again. I mean, there was one time he went like the, the, the girl that was checking him out. She said how much she loved the cheese. That was a, it was a cheese it was $30 a pound. She's like, oh, I love that cheese. And he's like, let me get to, he's like, he went and bought her a half a pound of it and just gave it to her right there. And, and, and I've, I've tried to, you know, do similar things like that and, and, and live in that purpose and that understanding of our everyday life. I think when we get so bogged up with the worries and the cares of this world, um, and even the future. I, I love something Addison, I, I'll probably quote it incorrectly, but Addison always told me, he said, you know, he said the, the future is a friend until it begins to steal from your present. And when you are so focused on the future, focused on all the things that are going on, the next things that you have to do, the big things, um, you, if you begin to miss out on the opportunities of the day, it will begin to steal from you. And I love that. Like Jesus was always, he beautifully modeled that. He showed that, you know, whenever he was on the way to someplace, he just continued to look for opportunities to minister. He continued to look for opportunities to make a difference. And that's where some of his greatest ministry happened. And I think that's what, that's why I think you have a lot of people that are wondering like, hey, having that big question of, of what is my big purpose is that we're missing out on those in-between moments. We're missing out on the on-the-way uh, opportunities that God is placing in front of us. Yeah, so I think that's a great place to land the yeah. the value of individuals and the value of the mundane moments of life that that we find. And so, and Arden, it's been great to sit with you. And um, again, we are still waiting on a Thanksgiving invitation for this year coming up. <laughs> uh, but we always just bring the cleats. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Mama Bavir, we're coming. We're coming. <laughs> we always end the show with the same question for every guest, and we do host here on the campus of the university. Uh, we want to know what is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Yeah, so I went to Bible college. I got credit through Southeastern. Um, but the biggest thing that I learned through Bible college was how to serve. Um, that was not something in the classroom, but that was something I desperately needed. Um, making sure that you served, you know, serving the vision of the house, serving the vision of ministry, serving the vision of the kingdom. Um, that was something huge for me. It's something that I desperately needed. Yeah, that's a great answer. It is good. Hey, man, Arden, it has been great to have you on the show. And as we always like to say here at the Leadership Drip, bro, you've got a seat at the table. Thanks for being on, Rob, bro. On. Rob, Rob and Jeff, thank you so much for having me on. It was an honor. Hey, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at the Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table. <laughs>